it's time for those white men to start stepping back and finding a little bit of diversity on their teams and sending them to speak at some of these panels. Let's show our on-site personnel, let's show the residents in our community that the industry they are a part of is as diverse as the buildings they manage. I'm probably gonna get fired now. Today's sponsor of the SHI podcast is Carter Young. For those of you who may not know about Carter Young, which I can only assume you are brand new to student housing or you've been living under a dorm for the past 20 years, Carter Young is a debt recovery firm based in Georgia who has been specializing in debt recovery related to college students for over two decades. They even operate their call center out of Athens, Georgia, because they wanted to employ people who understand the student journey in order to give them a better chance of collecting from your student residents who end up owing you a balance after they move out. They also provide training programs to your on-site staff and review your operating methods to make sure everything is being done to prevent bad debt from happening. Now, how many debt recovery services do that? If you're not using Carter Young, I can guarantee you're leaving money on the table. Visit them at carter-young.com or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Student Housing Insight Podcast, video form this time if you're able to join us on YouTube. We are putting you in touch with the people who bring student housing to life at Student Housing Insight. I'm your host, Wesley Dees, and joining me today as a special co-host is the VP of Human Resources at Campus Advantage, Angela Shaw. Hello, everybody. Thank you for having me, Wes. Well, Angela, thanks for joining today to talk about this topic that I, I know you are passionate about. But before we get to that, that title at Campus Advantage is just one little thing about you. Um, you're also a public speaker. In fact, you have a TEDx talk called Busting the Stereotype of the Angry Black Woman. Um, by the way, if you go to YouTube now, I don't know if you know this or not, and just search angry black woman, <laughs> your TEDx is number two in the search. And guess who's number four? Who? <laughs> so it's a two minute clip of, of Oprah Winfrey's interview with Michelle Obama on the, on the whole angry black woman stereotype. Um, so you're ranking higher than Michelle and Oprah. You ought to feel pretty, pretty good about that. <laughs> You know, honestly, Wes, about that TEDx, I mean, I was very pleased with it, but I don't go search it very often because people are mean. And, you know, I only can look at the negative, angry comments on there, but that's good to know. Thank you. Yeah, I don't, I don't ever read the comments anyway, but it's, um, yeah, it, I think you were up to about 30,000 views when I looked at it. So, so that, that's amazing. And TEDx is just, I mean, that's a, it's a grueling process. To, um, it is actually. I think people would be surprised. I think people think you just, you know, apply and like you get a topic together and you speak. It is definitely a specific process. And for me personally, what I started with and what did I, I ended up with wasn't necessarily what I thought, but it was a great um, product because of the process. You're, you're not the only person that I know that's done a TEDx that has said that same exact thing of, you know, what I started out with was 
nowhere near what I ended up with. So that's, um, but yeah, I, just really quick, take us kind of through that process. Cause I know there's a lot of folks out there that are, are interested in, or let's just say they're passionate about certain topics and, and they're interested in becoming a public speaker on, on those topics. Just really quick, kind of what's the process for um, submitting to TEDx and getting approved and all of that. Yeah. So I think probably what is different for everyone is how people are notified that they're taking proposals for it. So, I mean, in your city, just kind of Google or follow if your specific goal is to do a TEDx. That actually wasn't my specific goal. It just worked out that way. Somebody told me that the proposal was open. I actually didn't want to apply. I was like, that sounds like too much. Um, But I did. And then it just so happened that I knew somebody on the selection committee. And that's not why I got selected. I mean, obviously they like the topic and everything, but networking also helps and who you know definitely um, can help. Uh, And then once I was selected and we went through the process, so you're assigned someone who helps you curate the best possible, you know, final product that you can and you go through this process with them. And it was really painful because not that I thought I was the best speaker, but I'm very clear on what I want to say. Um, So some of the advice about how to say things and how to get the message across was difficult for me. Um, But when I was able to um, get myself together and take that advice for what it needed to be taken for, I was really proud of the end product. And I think I presented a message that more people would be able to take in. And honestly, I feel like that helped me continue to become the speaker that I am today, the ability to connect with audiences, how you actually share a message, what you put behind the message you're sharing. That process really helped me as far as that's concerned. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing that. I I hope, um, you know, uh, again, uh, it's, it's a tremendous platform and I hope anybody that, you know, has an idea, has a, <clears throat> something that they're passionate about. We'll, we'll look into that at their, you know, certainly at their local level, at their colleges, that type of thing. Um, in addition to, to being a public speaker, you're also an adjunct, adjunct instructor at uh, UT Austin, as well as Austin Community College. What else should our audience know about Angela? Well, I didn't mention it when I talked about the TEDx, but I became a public speaker because I wanted to connect with people individually. Like, as I told my story about just some of the experiences that I've had in the workplace and just in my life, you know, my hope is that it helps them the next time they come into contact with somebody who's different than them to want that connection. And maybe it's a little easier for them to make that connection. I think aside from that, what I would want the audience to know is that I'm a people advocate you know, at heart, that's what I was first. And then I had this passion for diversity, equity, and inclusion. Some of my values, or I think my values are, you know, I know that if I give before I get, you know, if I respect others, and if I stay ready, I'm going to reap (laughs) the biggest rewards. And so I try to do that in every single part of my life. I knew very early on that if I um, wanted to become an advocate, that I had to be an ally first. And I spent a lot of time working on myself personally to be uh, an ally. So when I come to you today as a black woman, because obviously you can see that part, it's not just through that lens. You know, I'm really a person who advocates for all diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
and I'm an ally to anybody um, who needs me to be, including white men. And I specifically bring that up, one, to just go right into the topic, list. Like, I'm not going to be shy about it. This is what it is, right? But also because that's what I want in return. So I think if I have the behavior that I want, that's what I will get back. And I would tell anyone um, who wants that for themselves to do the same thing. Well, did you grow up in the Austin area or in Texas? I did. I'm a native Austinite, actually. Gotcha. It's very, very rare that you actually meet someone that's from Austin. I know. Everybody everybody says that. And when when I tell people that or whenever there's an opportunity to do an icebreaker, everybody's like, tell us one thing about you that we wouldn't know. I always say that because it is definitely a unique thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, hey, thanks again for for joining me on on this episode. Um, As you mentioned, we're talking about diversity and inclusion uh, within the student housing industry. Yeah, this has become a huge topic across every industry, and that's because no industry is immune to it. Um, it involves people, and until the robots take over, industries are, are going to be ran by people and, and all of the garbage and baggage that, that come along with us on that as well. So, um, Angel, I've been in this industry nearly 24 years now. Um, I've got a lot of opinions on how this industry has dealt or not dealt with the topics of diversity. And and we'll get to that later. But you've just entered this industry this past year. What's what's your observation been so far? Well, I would say that it's a true statement that all industries suffer from a lack of diversity, equity and inclusion. So I've worked in multiple and it, it is the trending issue. I saw a tweet recently uh, where somebody said, uh, Beyonce can find 24 black trombone players, but your company cannot find a single black intern, associate, or board member. (laughs) I mean, Wes, and it's the truth. And and I would add leader to that too, like leadership teams. Um, You know, it also reminds me of the statement that just came out that the CEO of Wells Fargo made. Um, And, you know, It was specific about black talent, the statement that he made, that it's hard to find black talent, that it's limited. His direct quote, it didn't say minorities. It didn't say people of color. It was specific to black talent, and it was in a memo, right? So in June, he wrote this memo, and it just now leaked out for all the world to see that this is what he said. You know, it's heartbreaking to me. It's heartbreaking probably to every black person that has applied for a job at Wells Fargo to see that and to read that. And I think that people do not think about individual feelings when they make broad statements like that, when we do things within our organization that affect specific classes, when there's disparate treatment. That also applies to student housing. I actually went to look on a few websites of companies in our industry just to be like, maybe I'll see something different. There wasn't a lot of diversity there. And if we saw diversity, it was gender only, right? And it didn't really hit race um, at all. So I think what I would say is missing, not just for student housing, but for all industries, is that that intentional piece of how we really solve for this issue within our organizations. And then accountability to solve for it. If you think talent is limited for any type of factor, don't just throw up your hands and say you can't do it. Go find it, right? Um, You know, people are, nobody's trying hard enough. I mean, and I would want to be the company, if I think that it's limited, 
I want the limited pool that's out there. I want them to come work for me. So I'm yeah, going to work to be that. Very true. So I think that's what's missing. Very true. And, and just, uh, uh, you know, uh, everything between COVID and, and the elections have kind of consumed what little bit of news I get to uh, <laughs> get to see. But what, what was the, because um, I'm not too familiar with what happened with, with, Wells, with the Wells Fargo CEO. So um, in response to Wells Fargo's diversity numbers not increasing or changing, that was his response, was that the talent pool is limited for uh, black gotcha. people. And he put it in a memo, like in writing. So yeah, that was his response. Wow. Well, and you know, we'll get into this a little bit more when we play, uh, you know, this, this discussion I had with, with our panel, but the banking industry, you know, I I feel like we mimic a lot of what is happening in the banking industry. And so it's uh, amazing that, you know, that that's been said. So so, um, you know, we, we started, when I say we, I mean, Student Housing Insight started this conversation back in June in our Planning for Fall 2020 webinar series, where we began the discussion on diversity. That conversation was more about supporting our student residents this fall as, as they return to campus after what's been dubbed the summer of George Floyd. Uh, and several discussions leading up to that specific s- session, I decided we've got to have we've got to have several more of these conversations. And, and this episode is just this next step. Uh, one thing I love about the opportunity that I have with with not being directly employed by a student housing firm uh, in this part of my career, I can shine the light on our garbage, so to speak, be it the the metrics we use to measure our success how we train our employees or how we design our buildings. And I'm going to call it out when I see there's an area to improve. When I realized this podcast I've created to, to market my consulting services had the ability to turn into the platform it is today and the big plans we have for the future, I, I sat down to develop our mission statement. That mission statement, well, let me tell you really quick. I've got, I've got one rule when it comes to mission statements. If it can't fit on a t-shirt, don't expect anybody to remember it. So <laughs> the mission statement. I think statement, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it, seriously, if it can't, doesn't mean it shouldn't be your mission statement. Just don't expect anybody to remember it. And if people can't remember it, how do you expect them to, to act on it? So the mission statement that I came up with was simply make student housing better. When it comes to diversity issues, this industry has an incredible opportunity to not only make an impact in our operating and management firms, but we can really lead the way for the universities we serve as well as the firms that provide our capital, both on the equity and the debt side. This is something that our industry has got to address in order to become better. I'm proud to be the person and lead a company that is at least willing to start that conversation. And and let me be honest with this audience. I may say something that offends someone, but please understand my intent. My intent is to shine a light on something that needs to be fixed, that otherwise left alone, it's going to end up causing your company to crumble. This this may cost me sponsorship. (laughs) This may hurt my consulting business. But these issues have to be addressed. And, and, you know, Angela, with with that being said, again, I want to thank you for agreeing to do this because unlike myself, you are gainfully employed by a company that is a leader in this industry. 
you could very easily say something that, that may offend a client or a partner of Campus Advantage as well. And I, I just want to thank you for being courageous and, and helping me with this topic. Well, absolutely. And I am certainly grateful for my position at Campus Advantage. They are very supportive of me and have been good to me. But I can't let fear stop me from having the conversations that need to be had. Like, I refuse to be silent because I'm not going to be complicit um, in this going on. You know, I've had so much happen to me personally in my life and in my career. Uh, Oppression, racism, all the isms out there. Um, And so in my speaking up, it was a desire not just to change my own future, but also just the opportunity to affect the future of others. And that's really what keeps me talking about it. And I would ask anyone who gets offended by something I say, you know, I would challenge them to one, have a conversation with me around it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about some of these experiences I've had that are different than yours that could make you feel some kind of way. I would also say I would challenge to peel back the layers of your onion and figure out why you're offended. And let's talk about that part of it. And then the third thing I would say is to consider the feelings, opinions, and experiences that are outside of your own. We're not going to have growth without being uncomfortable. And that applies to everybody. I get uncomfortable sometimes with conversations that I have to have, but I do it anyway. Disparity exists, Wes. It exists in this world that we live in. Everybody does not get the same. And we have to talk about it in order to change it. Yeah. And, and, and what you said about, you know, peeling back your, your own, you know, layers of, of your own onion, you know, and, and, and really kind of question yourself when you are feeling offended about something, there's nothing wrong with being offended. Right. <laughs> there's absolutely nothing wrong yeah. with it. That's what makes um, us human. Yeah. And, and the, the best thing is to, to understand, you know, why you're offended. It may be very, you know, righteous and, and in the right place. And, and sometimes it may not. There may be things that, you know, from a, from a background standpoint that have affected you that probably actually doesn't line up with what kind of core values you actually have. So I think, I think that's, that, that's a really key thing that you said. So let's, let's talk about this panel interview that I did. Uh, I recently sat down with a group of eight other individuals who work at multiple le- levels within our industry to talk about their frustrations regarding diversity and inclusion within the student housing industry. These aren't necessarily C-suite officers and, and folks that have um, you know, just been in the, in the industry for a short time. These are folks all the way from the site level up to executive positions that have pretty much grown up in this industry, you know, much like myself. And um, we've got several women, people of color, sexual orientation, et cetera, that took part in this. So the one consistent thing amongst, amongst all of them is that they, they've started at the site level. You know, they know how the sausage is made. They've observed or have even been a victim of discrimination or exclusion practices within this industry um, due to their color, gender, or, or even orientation. And they all came out of those experiences to say, I can make a positive impact on this industry and I'm not going to, to let this push me out of this industry. So with, with that being said, let's cut to that discussion. And on the other side, uh, Angela is going to try to help and help us navigate these issues. So stay tuned for that.
Well, guys, welcome to this edition of the Student Housing Insight podcast, YouTube video. I'm not exactly sure what we're calling this, but um, we are actually kind of going to the next step of something that we started um, several months ago uh, on the topic of diversity and inclusion. Um, over the past several years, I've had conversations with many of my colleagues in the student housing industry who are minorities, women, and LGBTQ plus about their career paths and opportunities within this industry. Uh, many of those conversations have been with the folks that are joining me today for this discussion, and I appreciate their willingness to be a part of this conversation. So with that being said, let's just go around the, uh, around the Zoom here and have each of you guys introduce yourself. Hey everybody, I'm Adam Yarber, Director of Resident Experience at Campus Advantage. I'm Lincoln Ogata, Vice President of Easy Turn. I'm Jackie Pango, the Client Success Manager at Peak Campus. I'm Ashley Lee, the Director of Marketing and Leasing at Varsity Campus. I'm William Butler, Principal of Empower Property Management Consulting. Terrence Jackson, I'm one of the Executive Directors for Pierce Education Properties. My name is Billy Peters, and I'm the Portfolio Leasing and Marketing Manager with Cardinal Group. And I am Greta Dare, your co-host. Well, guys, welcome so much. Um, Greta actually taught me a long time ago not to do meetings on um, Friday afternoon. So. <laughs> See, this is your fault. <laughs> so, uh, but I'm hoping this is a, you know, th this is a very serious topic, but it is one that I think we kind of just need to take time out from, from our day to day and, and have, and I think it's an important topic for, um, you know, for the entire industry, which is why I wanted to get this discussion recorded and out there for, for folks to listen to and be able to meditate on. As I mentioned, I've had a lot of conversations with all of you guys um, over, the, over the past several years and a lot of other of our colleagues as well. And there are some sentiments that I want to, I kind of want to put out there that I've heard from everybody and to kind of set the tone um, as it relates to, to our industry. Um, <clears throat> one being, it seems like only men get promoted within my company. Another one is, it seems like only white women are hired at that company. Another one, I have a black coworker ready to step up, but it keeps being he keeps being passed over for promotions. I've been asked to recruit a Chinese international student as a leasing agent to recruit more Chinese students to my property. And this one, um, I, I know that there's a lot of reasons behind this and we'll get into this, but this one I think is the one that, that I'm starting to finally see a lot of change in, but it's, I don't see a lot of diversity at the executive level with our, within our industry. So before we get started, um, I kind of want to direct a little bit of the conversation. Um, this summer, which has uh, been dubbed the summer of George Floyd in a lot of ways after his death at the hands of a police officer, these voices that I've heard from you guys, these the sentiments that I've heard from, from those that, that work in the student housing industry have two major themes, it seems like. The first one kind of being this internal reflection about the unconscious biases about race and gender and sexual orientation that, you know, may determine decisions and reactions that we really weren't aware of. I think there's been 
Greta, as you and I described it on a previous podcast, it's very much been a, a kind of a great awakening. The second one is how will this impact our student residents and how can we make them feel safe and supported? It's time as an industry that we start talking about these things. We may not have the answers, but we have to start the discussion and shine a light on these issues. This discussion is kind of the next step that SHI is taking to continue this discussion. Our first step uh, came at the end of our spring webinar series on planning for fall 2020. It wasn't originally um, on, the, on, the topic, uh, <laughs> on the topic list when we started in May, but certainly by the time uh, we were in the first week of June of 2020, it was something that we knew that we needed to discuss. And that was kind of the, the bookend um, to, to that uh, conference series. Um, in that one, it included Terrence Jackson um, from Pierce Education, who joins us again today, along with Quan McLaurin, who recently resigned from his position as Director of Diversity Retention at Liberty University in protest to the actions of the now former university president, Jerry Falwell Jr., related to racially insensitive tweets and just overall poor leadership. In that session, we talked about ways the industry needs to prepare itself for a, for a fall semester that is not only unique because of the pandemic, but also how students will likely react to politically charged rhetoric this election season. That discussion can be found on our YouTube channel as well as at our podcast, and we'll link those in the show notes as well. For today's discussion, I want to focus on our people, the employees, our supervisors, our executive leadership, even ownership structures to, to a certain extent, and what is on our mind about the changes that should be made to provide for a more diverse and inclusive industry. So first question for our group, does the student housing industry have issues relating to diversity and inclusion? And if you believe so, how have you seen it play out? Who wants to step up? Yeah, I'll step up. <laughs> I think um, I'll go first, but you can oh, edit that, can me. Can you look over your shoulder like that again? It was like, oh, yeah, I'll step uh, up. <laughs> I'm like, you can edit me in a second later. No, um, you know what we do? We have extraordinary issues with diversity in this industry. I, to, to agree with you, Wes, I see improvement, but um, – I don't know about the rest of you or any of you that are listening, but every year, one of, one of the things that I look for is to start seeing, I think we, for so long, change has come from the top down. And every year I look to see who is presenting at some of our biggest industry conferences. I think our employees on site that come into this industry and, and they love it, whether they're part-time leasing consultants or leasing consultants or you know, assistant managers, our on-site employees are really what drives the student housing industry forward. And they look to senior leadership at, at all kinds of companies. I think one of the things we've seen just on a national level in the last few years is that our employees are more savvy than we've long given them credit for. And I think they're looking to see who their leaders are. I think they're looking to see who their decision makers are. And year after year, conference after conference, the speaker series, the speaker panelists are largely 
OneNote. They're largely OneNote. And I'll, I'll go ahead and just say they're largely white men. I was going to um, say, are you going to say that? <laughs> I'm going to well, say I will it, happily yeah. fill that in is. and play they mad jobs with you. They are largely white yeah. men. And you know what? I'm so tired of hearing. I am so tired of hearing that if you go to a conference about marketing, you will get to see some women speakers. But um, the other, That's you know, we're allowed. NMHC and Interface, these are operational conferences that in operators or, or acquisitions or development, those are male-dominated domi fields, and so that's who the speakers are, and I, I believe and I agree that those are male-dominated segments of our industry, but I also think that there are women doing incredible things in every single one of those segments. There are people of color doing incredible things in every single one of those segments, and you know, maybe less notable when you're just looking at a face on a piece of paper, but there are definitely members of the LGBTQ community in those fields. And, and I just, I don't think that we're seeing them. And my call to our industry and to our leaders has been over time and remains, it's time for those white men to start stepping back in finding a little bit of diversity on their teams and sending them to speak at some of these panels. Let's show our on-site personnel, let's show the residents in our community that the industry they are a part of is as diverse as the buildings they manage. I'm probably going to get fired now. That's <laughs> I 100% agree. I, I, I remember sitting in a transition property in Denver and the staff was extremely diverse in every category, in gender diversity, in orientation, in race, in religious beliefs. I mean, so much diversity. And on the stage in front of these folks were a predominantly white cast of men. There were some women in there too. And I remember sitting there and the question was, how does your company handled diversity and inclusion. And that was a major question. It was a big topic. This was coming from a community assistant and asking us and the, the, our chief learning officer was there and the VP over the property was there and our VP of leasing. And the response from some of our team members were, oh yeah, we have a lot of great diversity. We have people in our corporate office who have purple hair and we can wear whatever we want. And that was our answer. That was our answer. And it, it's wrong. It's wrong. And I, I mean, just personally taking inventory of myself and I won't, I won't talk too much because I am one of those white males that talk a lot, but I, I noticed that even as I'm building teams um, for projects, there was a lack of diversity in, in, in my pulling that together. And oftentimes it was just because the people who get the most attention are, have been those white individuals and, and to make it a race issue essentially and I, I looked at that and I was like, I can't believe that I'm going to post something on my personal social media about racial equality and Black Lives Matter and social justice and then not put that into practice in my work. And it, it, was, it was a tough thing. It was a thing I had to realize and accept about myself and make that change. And it, it had to start with me, for sure. So let, let me ask the typical um, white man question, because I think when that question is asked and, you know, Jackie, I, you know, I certainly heard you ask people about, you know, where, where are the women at? Where, where, where are the POCs at? Right. And, you know, within those conferences and that type of thing. And the answer was, this is reflective, you know, we're, we're a reflection of the industry. 
this isn't a conference issue. This is a industry issue. And being in it for, you know, going close to 25 years now, um, it's, you know, I understand a lot of the history because, you know, student housing even 30 years ago was predominantly regional mom and pops who were focused on mostly one market, maybe three or four markets. And as, as the industry grew, we now have, and so, well, to get back the, you know, the, these regional mom and pops were, you know, really kind of reflective of what was happening in their region. And I think as some of those grew and began and, and took on national footprints, they continue to, you know, to, to be a reflection regionally and not necessarily national. And, um, I think that plays into it. The The other part is I think no matter what kind of industry you see growth in outside of technology, I think for the most part, you kind of see it. I, I don't know if it's the same in senior housing, but, but anytime you kind of get these offshoots, I mean, we're seeing it right now in, in the co-living um, sector where the folks that are stepping forward to, to, take on that risk uh, of developing a new niche are white men. I personally believe it's because when those men are meeting with, with lenders, they, they're able to, you know, provide confidence to the leaders. And so I think that has a lot to do with it because when, Trust me, when we were talking to lenders 30 years ago about, even 25 years ago, about the concept of student housing and, and lease by the bed, it, there, there was a lot of pitching that had to go on in order to get lenders to, to feel confident with that, um, to even understand it. And, and so, a lot of ways, I think it's kind of reflective of that industry as well. So, just... Again, my two cents, and, 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 and the question I was going to ask was more of, because I kind of went on the bunny trail there, but the question I wanted, you know, the typical white man question I was going to ask is, don't you want, you know, don't you just want the best person for the job? And I really want to put that out there as to, I mean, because I've got my own feelings on that question, but I feel like I'm <laughs> the one that has to, uh, has to kind of ask that question, so... Well, I think the um, what are your thoughts when you get that when you get that response? Well, I think the breakdown comes in is that if you're going to ask that question, some of the answer is they believe, or some of them believe that the best person for the job is a white woman or a white man, or you know, there's just so many levels and layers to it. And so when you put that question out there, it's so open ended that it's like it's in whoever is in that seat who is asking that question, who's actually doing the hiring, who's in control of the hiring, and whatever controls behind the scenes that's kind of driving that question and driving those multiple questions um, afterwards that may block a person that really is qualified, but for and from their perspective, because I may not be a white man, um, you know, that has the look or the voice, then even with my qualifications, I just don't fit, so... To back up on that, Terrence, and I'm going to, I want to actually interject there is because what you're saying, there was actually a huge national study that was done to back up exactly what you just said. 
and to counter because that is an argument that's brought up a lot. Well, don't you just want the best person for the job? Why aren't we just focusing on who the best person for the job is? That should be what everybody's focus always is. You're right. It should be, except that isn't what we do. And in fact, there were numerous studies that were done to prove that that isn't actually what we do. We don't just get the best person for the job because what these studies did was they took the exact same qualifications and they slapped different names on them. And do you know what they found? People with different types of sounding yep. names don't get those jobs because yep. of internal biases inside of people's minds make you decide that those people aren't the best people for those jobs. So they don't actually get them and they don't climb to the tops and they don't get through the ranks and they don't get to be in those decision-making positions. And then we don't see them at these conferences and they don't get to actually meet with those lenders and we don't see them in these positions. So no, it's yeah. not about who's the best person for the job because can they don't actually ever get to be there. Yeah, can we even say that that's the best person for the job with the limited access and just the disparity in education availability to non-white folks? I mean, how can we say that we're getting the best for the job when those individuals are not granted access to education the same way. It's, it's not even a, a to fair. To even begin with. Yeah. 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 And it's, sorry, sorry to take it away from you on that one, Wes, but it goes even deeper than that. You know, I was looking last night at all the roles I've had and every single one, there was a white non-heterosexual male leading the way. But what I did notice is that there were 10 year property managers who were all you know, white women or women of color, who they're the ones on the front line every day interacting with our, you know, progressive students that's changing every year. And when you've put, you know, just forgive me when I say this, but Caucasian males in that role, they're not always the ones and they're not usually the ones that spent all that time with our core client, the student. And so, I'm going to always side with their property manager who's engaged in talking to these residents that we're serving over somebody who may have spent a year in a chair and doesn't know today's youth because they've been in that senior role this whole time. Yeah, there, there's a lot of variables, uh, if, I, if I can speak. Um, my, my background, some of you don't know either, I also was in the Navy for 10 years, five years active, five years reserve. And in the Navy, kind of this ideal picture of there's no name associated, there's a, um, a number value that is needed and it's a combination of test scores and different things that are all very physical number things that don't even exist with a name. It's a position. And then they come out with that, that, you know, that, that number and you either hit it or you don't to get promoted to the first six ranks. So literally there's nothing that even can be brought down into that area. Um, it is all strictly numbers from that point. And then to come out of that and come in, but I, I'm a little torn. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Japanese, I'm a half Japanese FYM. I grew up in Hawaii where I was a majority and I live, now live in Kentucky where I'm a minority. So I've actually got to live on both sides. I really have. I've seen it on both sides. So it's uh, very interesting um, to see my mother in Hawaii, who's Caucasian, and my father here in Kentucky, who my dad's 75. So he was one of the only Japanese men running around Kentucky uh, many, many years ago. Uh, married to a white woman, obviously here. Um, but I'm, I'm very hard-headed, very competitive, and, and, I, and obviously there's other variables that go in, as Terrence mentioned. But in my mind, I want to be – if I'm the best one that goes into it, I want to get that job because I'm the best one in it. And like he said, there's other variables that come into it, and obviously that's a shame. Um, but the last thing I ever want is to feel like I got a job to fill – that four-person team to throw uh, a little brown, if you will, light brown, uh, into that mix. That's that because I'm a competitive – like, that's the last thing I want from just that competitive mindset that I have. But, again, there's other variables that go into it. And, again, I got to see life where numbers are everything. 
um, to now where it's so much more interpersonal uh, with the way we do our hiring system. So that, that's my two cents on that. Yeah. And you know, a couple of one credit to what you said, uh, you know, and you know, this personally, uh, when it comes to the name thing, I have three daughters and, and one son and, uh, you know, we, we refer to our three daughters as the sweet peas because they all start with, with, with P, but they're all, you know, they could be male names, Presley Parker and Peyton. Um, and, um, and that was done on purpose. My, my wife said, I don't want someone to look at her resume when she's older and say, oh, this is a woman. And um, so, yeah, I completely, I completely get that. The, the other thing, you know, and, and I asked that question, don't you want to just hire the best person? I think one thing that a lot of people forget is the best person isn't necessarily what's on paper. There's a lot of other dynamics. And the main thing, especially in our industry, is how they're going to work together as a team. Um, I've, I've hired people that are, you know, much brighter than me, that are much, um, you know, have, have a, a better education, more education than me. And... They've been lousy employees because, or coworkers, I should say, um, because you know they were uh, there. Were, there were a lot of things there that they just didn't get from a team perspective. Uh, so uh, you know, I don't. I, I tend to disagree that you're hiring. You know, the best, at least the best person on paper. You're hiring the best person that's going to allow the team to get done what the team needs to get done. So. So I'm going to kick that question one more time. Does the student housing industry have issues relating to diversity and inclusion? And if you believe so, how have you seen it play out? Anybody else got anything else to, to add into that? Well, Wes, um, I'm very similar to Lincoln in the fact that I, I'm very competitive when it comes down to like any position that I would get, right? I would always go in and I would always try to be the best at whatever it is, right? If there's a challenge on the table, I'm challenge accepted, right? I want to go out there and get it. So me personally, I, have, I can't say that I, I personally felt like any exclusion um, being an African-American man, right? Like, and I, I've, I've been fortunate enough to go from leasing manager to new development lease up specialist and, you know, kind of climb the ranks and go into the corporate capacity. Granted, when I did get to the corporate side of things, there it was definitely a disproportionately, like in the corporate office, like it was disproportionately white, right? Like I would go in and uh, naturally I'll, you know, I, you know, I can see it, right? Like I'm there, I'm one of very few, like um, I can count on one hand, you know, how many black people were in office. Now, granted, some of the positions were remote and they could work from home, but the fact of the matter is, you know, I kind of, I was there, right? Um, and although I've been, I've, I know this a certain degree of adaptability, right? When I went, I, I think it was literally three weeks ago, I went down to do a speaking engagement out in, um, in Minnesota, I believe, um, with a company. And as soon as I got off the stage, he's going so many places that he, he has to think about it first. Thanks to you. No. So I get off the stage and then immediately when I'm done, I see it like there's a group of black guys that walk up to me and a couple of them are asking questions. And one of the questions was, Hey, Willie, as a black guy, how do you, what advice would you give me to find success in this industry? Right? Like, how can I grow? How can I, you know, see a lot of the success that you found? And, um, to Jackie's point, I mean, although they're like, or Wes, you said that you see that we are getting better from the executive standpoint, more um, diversity um, from up top is happening. But I think the student or like our leasing managers, our, our people on the front line, they're starting to feel it as well, right? They're starting to see that, you know, they don't see a lot of people 
that look like them on the front line, on stage, speaking on their behalf or speaking from their perspective, right? Because at the end of the day, um, it's avoiding the concept of race, like race being a thing is, that's adding fuel to the fire, right? It is, it is definitely like saying nothing and saying something in volume, right? And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, people see it. People, like they see a bunch of heterosexual white males on stage every single conference, right? Sometimes they're sitting down like, hey, where's my opportunity to get up there? Or can I see somebody that looks like me? Um, And when they don't, sometimes that can be a deterrent itself, right? And that's kind of the vibe that I got from those students. It's like, dude, I I don't even know if I want to continue. Like how how can I see myself in higher positions? Can I? And that was a conversation that I even had um, once upon a time. Like one of my, when I was a, like under my candidacy for upper mobility on the, on the corporate side of things, one of my, um, one of my friends was talking to me like, Willie, do you really see yourself being a senior vice president? Do you really think that they're going to hire you as a senior vice president for that company? I, I mean, can we, we can pull up every single one of these companies' pages and let's go through all of the senior people that are listed on their teams and let's see how many women and how many people of color. And, you know, to your point though, honestly, Willie, like, Two points. First and foremost, what does that say to your teams on the ground? All we talk about is what is your career trajectory and how can we build you and how can we empower you to stay? Because we don't want these high turnover rates and we want them to stay and how can we get them to stay? And why don't people ever stay with their companies anymore? I don't know. Why would they? They can't ever see themselves getting to the top. They can't see themselves growing with you. You, you want to talk about your divorce diversity. You want to talk about your inclusion, but where, how are they going to get up to those high level positions where they can be incredibly successful and make their dreams come true when all they see up at the top is nothing that looks like them. Prove it. Prove it. I want to see proof because you're not showing me any. I want to see it because when I pull up your websites and I look at your team and all I do see is a bunch of people who don't look like any of the people that are actually on the ground doing the hardest work. Absolutely. I don't see any proof. Speak it, Greta. (laughs) Speaking to, to Greta's point, for those on the call that don't know, I'm actually transgender. And when I came out, the first thing I heard from industry professionals is, oh, you just toasted your career. You've gone absolutely as far as you can go. You're, and I felt that way. I really did. It's just now starting to see the changes and kudos to Cardinal for that. They've been wonderful. But yeah, I agree. That's what had been programmed into my mind is if you want to succeed, you're, you're a white male. Well, it was, I was going to say, was it because of, of the transition or because of the sex you chose? Um, actually, both. And that conversation, both, right? yeah, it, you know, it, not even just in, in our, our field, but also just in real life, the comments yeah. was, why would anybody want to be a female? And, you know, you don't even get to, to check either box now. You're kind of like a, a, in between. You've destroyed your chances. And so when you've been programmed that and you think it and you, you can see it on team members' faces, that's a problem. Yeah. Should we move on to the next question or has anybody got anything I they want to I think we're all in agreement we can do better. We can, but I also wanted to point out too, once we do better, we can't hold those individuals to a higher standard. I think that's something that gets passed over a lot too. I'm so glad once, you said that. <laughs> thank you. Um, once, once someone of color or you know, a woman does step into a higher role, whether it is in the corporate sense or it's at the executive level, I do think that there's such – there's uh, an immeasurable amount of extra pressure that gets placed on that individual 
to not only perform well within that company, but perform well for that group of individuals. And I think that is what's more challenging for that individual more than anything. And then you start to introduce an imposter syndrome. So that's an additional challenge that goes right into it. <laughs> and I won't go down the rabbit hole, but I think we all understand how that can you know, affect your work as well. Should we go on to the second question, guys? Yeah. All right. Yeah, let's do it. So I feel like the industry has been better at embracing diversity at the site level and specifically with leasing and sales positions. But to be honest, we all know that that's a bit of a sales tactic. It's being done for the same reason this industry hires so many students part-time for these positions as opposed to full-time leasing professionals. Um, it's because, you know, I believe this industry – um, you know, really believes and embraces peer sales or peer influence in that process, meaning that the students are more, more likely to lease from someone their own age and going through the same experiences and someone who is, you know, versus someone who's removed from the day-to-day -day college life that just isn't able to connect. Um, this is now involved in, Greta, you and I have talked to this, you know, to a certain extent about properties being able to go after a certain, you know, their branding really needs to go after a, a target market within, you know, the, the student population and how important that is, especially, you know, these larger tier one schools. But we see that now evolving um, into you know, they're strategically hiring students from the same socioeconomic background that a property's target student is. So, you know, the high rent properties typically target wealthier students as well as international students who are coming from wealthy families. And therefore, they're hiring these leasing professionals that reflect those same socioeconomic classes and as well as the countries of origin kind of to, to lean back on what I mentioned earlier about that sentiment of hiring a, a Chinese international student as a, as a leasing professional. I just want to pose this question. Do you feel like this is how we should be hiring for these positions? I can jump in. I guess I, I understand where they're coming from in the sense that, you know, I think it's, it's Dr. C. Aldani, right? Um, one of the six principles of persuasion is likability, right? Seeing somebody, having that common ground with somebody and being able to really just like them, right? It's going to make you more inclined to do what they're trying to get, like do what they're trying to get you to do, right? You're a little bit more persuasive that way. You're a little bit, you have a little bit more influence. So when I see somebody that looks like me, that relates to me, that can speak the same language as me and who's also trying to give me advice into something, I mean, a purchasing decision, I, I would be more inclined to, work with that person opposed to somebody who I don't necessarily like, or I can't necessarily relate to. Um, so I see the perspective there, but I, again, I think it circles back to what you said before, Wes, um, at the first question, it's about picking the right person for the job. And I say that to say this, I remember um, case in point, I was in Melbourne, Florida. I was working on an assignment and I remember there was an owner that was like, Hey Willie, if you could really help us out with um, trying to find like really good staff, right? We, we really need a really good team. And I presented him to two people, right? There was this uh, um, young white guy. Uh, he looked like Justin Bieber, right? And that's kind of how I presented it to him. He's very clean cut, very um, sales oriented, very articulate. Old school guy. Justin Bieber. Very cool. Huh? Old school <laughs> Justin Bieber. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Older Justin Bieber. 
Um, and then there was a Nigerian kid that I presented to him too. Now, the Nigerian kid was phenomenal. Work ethic, like, I mean, the hustle, he was there. Um, he, he was always helping out in the office without even being employed. He stuck by my side. He started saying things that I was saying. He's not even working there, right? He just liked being in the office. He liked being around the team. Now, the issue that was presented was myself working in the office. I'm African-American. The general manager, she's African-American. And the um, head leasing consultant, she was also African-American. So when I presented these two um, potential staff to him, right, uh, these candidates for the position, he was like, yeah, Willie, um, and I don't think he knew the political term, like the politically correct way to say it. So he just outright said, yeah, we want to mix it up. There's too many black people in the office, right? Like he didn't want to hire him, the Nigerian kid, simply because he was black, right? Despite the fact that, I mean, now both candidates were phenomenal, but this kid would have killed it. He would have crushed it, like, Phenomenal. And then not to mention there was a very high international um, population at the university. So you weren't like, so can we, can we fire one of the other black guys so I can get this black guy in? I'm so glad that you said that because that was one of the things that I was thinking about earlier is that, so let's flip all of this on its head, right? Let's say what happens if, yeah, if the whole office is filled with black people, because that's, those were all the most qualified or is everybody going to be, yeah. you know, because that was the most qualified, but is that, is that the best? Is everybody going to be fine with that then? Is that, or because no, apparently we need to throw a white person in there so that people know that this isn't just a black people community. Let's be honest. That's exactly the thought process. Or let's look at a corporate office. Wes, if the entire office was filled with just women, all women and nothing else, there it is. And see, it's like this oh. is like secret conversation. But that's, like, let's say all the quiet parts out about. loud. And yeah. that's the point. There it is. See, this is and why I appreciate the fact that it's on it's on video right now. There and so like if we go back to the first like question and we start talking about like the best qualified person, honestly, there's no like science or formula or method to it. It's all about the feels. It's all about, oh, I love Greta because she has the long hair. I believe that she would be perfect for this property because it's got palm trees and it's a luxury property or her smile. And it's I just, like, there's something about her that just makes me feel like, Right, yes, it makes me feel so fluffy in. and light or I just love her positive energy. I don't know what that was. I have no idea about her qualifications, what she can do, about her education. So when we really start talking about, like Lincoln, like you mentioned about the numbers, you know, like in the Navy, I mean, like, let's be honest, like backdoor conversations about really hiring somebody to be a good fit for the team, where's the formula for it? And in our industry, when we start really like sectioning out properties and markets and classes, I mean, like, where's the formula? Yeah. Now, I want to I jump in on this because first of all, I mean, uh, it sounds like everybody in this industry has <clears throat> a lot of experience and a number of years. And I'm going, I mean, I'm going way back now, but I'm sure I'm not the only person in this industry that has heard comments made about the leasing manager and wanting to hire somebody that looks the part. And that almost always means a white woman, petite. I mean, I'm going to stop there, but it, you it does. Stop. We all know where I this think, is going. I mean, right. It's like, it's right there. Like it is the, and, and here's a couple of complaints I have about that. Number one, 
these jobs traditionally go to young to younger people, right? Like leasing manager, leasing consultant, those are entry level roles in our industry. And we are truly like sexualizing that experience by wanting to put somebody young well, and Jackie and, and Jackie here's the thing young and pretty and bubbly and hi guys do you want to lease here yeah I did well, and, he, and here's the thing exactly what I, it is I've heard that I've heard that from you know regional managers I've heard it from yeah you know quite honestly people in director of marketing positions that came from some other industry that you know made the same comment and they've never spent a day of their life on you know on an actual property to know and I, I remember being asked that question um, specifically. Sorry, I, my blood, I can feel my blood pressure going up right now. And, um, I, but I was asked that question of, of, you know, I didn't choose those type of people. Um, and I was asked why I wasn't choosing those type of people. And I said, because they're not, you know, I, I hired the best person for the job for what needs to get done. And if you want to wait eight months and understand that I'm doing what I'm and it's, that was at an executive level. And I heard those same questions on the same private planes with lenders and equity partners. And it's, I'm going to have to put the explicit on this, on, on this video. It's insane. I'm it's so the first one that said the no, I'm, and I'm is what really, it is. It's not surprising that I wasn't the one who said Well, it. and you guys, I think let's look at, so Wes, to your point as that, as those positions, right? These leasing manager, leasing consultant positions as they become. So if, if we're going to say more diverse, but more um, black and brown, more, um, reflective of our entire society as it actually exists as a whole then we cannot talk about that we cannot have that conversation without simultaneously talking about the devaluing of work that comes from people of color specifically women of color and people in the 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 GLBTQ questioning community because those entry-level positions leasing consultants and leasing managers are wildly underpaid in this industry and it is work being performed by black brown and young women um black people brown people and and young women and we you know we are we are devaluing their work in a way that we do not devalue work in positions that are held traditionally by white people and traditionally by men so and i think these are two sides of the same conversation all right so let's play the chess game okay because even though greta may have the look if we're going to still say, well, you know what, let's open it up to like Terrence, Willie, and Ashley or Lincoln. We're still kind of maybe forced to still try to have the look of someone like Greta, but still have kind of like the exterior of our skin. So I would say the combo and Ashley's giving me this look, but I would choose Ashley as kind of like a chess piece to say, okay, well, then let's do the match. But that's how people are thinking because Ashley is a little more fair-skinned. She does have the long hair, and she does have kind of like that softer exterior look to say, okay, if we're going to pass up on Greta, then let's skip over Terrence and Willie and Lincoln. But and they're going to counter it with Ashley. Like Ashley is the other version of Greta. 
Okay, so it's like a chess game. So it's like if we're not going to take this piece, then let's try to get as close to as possible. And so we're having to maybe figure out what type of button up to wear, or I have to have my face shaved, or maybe this is too much hair up top, or maybe I can't wear this necklace, or you know, I need to be more of a valley boy. Maybe I need to wear like shorter khaki shorts and longer like t-shirts or have like Ray-Bans as like sunglasses in order to appeal more to get the certain position or the look for that market or for that property. But if we're opening up conversations, those are conversations and struggles that, you know, people of color, if we're going to make the trade, we're still having to force ourselves into or assimilate ourselves into, I mean, it's the same thing. European beauty standards that have been put into place for over a hundred years. Yeah. Well, cookie cutter. Uh, I will say from someone, I I know Willie probably does too, travels all over the country and sees leasing teams and CAs, whatever you want to call them from all over the country. The half step the world seemed to take is I see more diversity now than I did 10 years ago. But everyone's beautiful. It's like it's like a supermodel lineup. When I go to California and see leasing agents, whether I'm in um, Chicago area, New York area, you know, and now this should be a line, but it's funny. It's like that kind of that's kind of the half step they're willing to do. Um, but I've gone to some and I'm like, this is this is crazy. Is it, how are you all finding these people? Um, and now, of course, in the world of social media, they're finding a lot of these influencers that they're actually seeking out to try to make leasing agents in areas if they find out they have a high following uh, in that area. But that's kind of the, the half step I've seen. But I really, even in my small 10, 10 year window, I've seen, um, I have seen more diversity on, on that level around the country from being around the country. But again, there's still common themes, right? Between all of them. So is it, really is it really diversity if you're still saying, Hey, I'm diversifying your color or your gender, but exactly. I'm still forcing you to say, I still need you to have this look. You know, you need to yeah. speak like I speak. You need to dress yeah. like I dress. Absolutely. You need to do your hair how I do my hair. You can be here and you can be black as long as you as long as you look as white as you possibly can. As long as you're not too. Ownership groups tell me to hire good looking people, and I know exactly what they meant when they said that. White. And it it it, it hurts. It hurts me. To think that, I mean, even putting that in your mind as a hiring manager, like you, in the back of your mind, you're like, am I going to make the right decision? Am I going to do these individuals justice to give them a fair shot with that in the back of your mind? It's, it's just, it's absolutely insane. And I'll tell you also, I, I was, it's funny. I was just writing about this on my Facebook page today. I'm I'm raising a black daughter and I worry every day, the more I'm, I'm, I'm happy that we're having these conversations that I'm hopeful that 18 years from now, when I send her out of my house, out of my world, I hope that we are in a better place for her. But I, I hear, I have these conversations and I just think like we have, we, we have not come far enough and I don't, I have so little faith in us to come further before I have to let her go. And um, this is making me so much more frustrated. Well, and I think what frustrates me is, and Wes, you know a lot of the properties I work with, is I do have some older properties that do have a very diverse group of people. And the thing about it is the residents love it. There's 
always somebody to relate to. They can say, hey, this is open to everybody. And again, I think I'm kind of a walking proof of that myself with Cardinal. But the issue is any situation I've been in where it's, you know, we want you to hire this person or match this demographic. It was pushed down from the owners. And at what point do you have to stand up to them? What recourse do you have, if any? You know, our younger generation is getting better every year as far as acceptance, whereas our older generation, no offense to anybody here, and I hate profiling, but they seem to be, you know, slamming their heels a little bit more into the ground. Well, and so it becomes, what do you do? Let me let me provide some perspective to you, um, uh, because I, it's not that I disagree with anything that you guys have said. And Ashley, I saw that you went on unmute while ago, so I'm sure you've got something you're dying to <laughs> say here. Um. But also understand from an ownership standpoint, there are a lot of things. There are very few people, you know, Nathan Collier with, with uh, Collier Company in Gainesville has kind of gone through it all, you know, from pond <laughs> a couple houses in Gainesville to, you know, this, this huge organization he has now. And he can step onto a property and, you know, sniff out what's going on really quick. For a lot of other folks that I see, and for those CEOs that I hope you are listening to this, and other folks that are <clears throat> that are in the C-suite, and when you're going to a property, understand you're just trying to check your boxes, and because you've got to report to somebody else, you've got to report to your investors and to the lenders that these boxes have been checked, and one of those kind of subconscious boxes, you're not going to find it on a list anywhere. It's going to be an attractive staff because if someone shows up to the, and I've been that person that's had to show up that I've gotten a call and said, Hey Wes, something's going on at this property. We're falling behind in leasing. Can you go and, and shop it? Can you go and check it out? And what they're, you know, and I hear the other conversations of, I don't think we've got the right staff there. And, you know, I, and I'll have conversations with the staff to really find out how engaged they are. And when I go back to report, you know, ultimately it comes down to some type of question around, is it, is it an attractive group of people that are trying to sell my attractive product? they're just checking a box. And I would just say to those people that are listening or watching this, that are in that position, throw your boxes out of the <laughs> your box is broken and it's wrong. Yeah. It's just management Oprah out there. Go, you know, go to a freaking Apple store and, well, and look what, look what people, you know, look what the type of people that are selling iPhones and, and beautiful products that, they, they, two points, it's a full right? range. It's uh, flat out. It's wrong. And so for anybody that's watching this, this isn't just a bunch. This isn't nine people stacked up speaking of boxes. This isn't nine boxes of people that are speaking their opinions. There are research. Again, there are research studies, there are citations to back this up. I spoke about this two years ago at LeaseCon. People want to have that relatability. People want to be around people that understand them. People, when they're leasing, they want to have people they can build a connection with. They want that emotional connection. They, they want to see people that are like them, that have that likability, that they can build that immediate bond with, that they have that trust. 
there is research and scientific proof to this entire thing. But if you want further proof of that, take a look at all of the businesses that have failed in the last 10 years that have been blamed on our generation because we will keep crumbling them down. And the most <laughs> recent one being Victoria's Secret. Do you know why? Because we're not here for this anymore. We don't want it anymore. This idea, this, this okay boomer mentality of we want one, one body type, one style, one color where women have to starve themselves and eat nothing but broth for three months to walk across a runway so that their hip bones poke out because this is some old white guy's mentality of what beautiful, gorgeous, and lovely is, while the rest of the world is out here screaming at the top of their lungs, no, it isn't. We like a little something to hang on to. Yes, please. And there is not one version of beautiful, lovely, and gorgeous, and it comes in many shapes, colors, and sizes, and many different forms. That is what we are here for, and if you don't give it to us, we will bring you down and we will create something new so yes you are wrong this is right there is research to back it up i think it's time to take the offering and the collection plates you guys <laughs> pastor greta here is just taking us to church ashley i'm so it sorry you true. put yourself on mute i'm sorry it is true all right so i'm ready to move on to to our last question unless you guys have anything else to Greta dropped the mic there. It's, I'm just it's, gonna, it's done. I'm gonna <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, the country, I think we all feel this, um, is deeply divided. Um, not just over these issues, not just over the things that have happened since, you know, Corona has, has entered our, uh, our sphere. Um, and I think our teams reflect that division as well because they're, you know, they're part of this country as well. But unlike our legislative bodies, companies have to find a way to make sure their team members are getting along. Uh, teamwork makes the dream work. We've all heard it. We've all said it. What do you feel like the companies in our industry need to do to ensure that team members respect each other's opinions and perspectives? I think the first thing that companies should do is realize that this isn't a new topic. This isn't something that just happened overnight. And it's something that has been happening uh, for far too long. So I think it does a disservice when a company comes in and wants to. Hey, Ashley, just really quick, just so I'm clear, or when you say this has been happening, um, are you talking about division? Or are you talking about. Uh, the lack of diversity, the lack of acknowledgement, the lack of action, the lack of due diligence, the lack of, of research, the lack of literally everything. In place, the lack of policies and procedures, the lack of, of just simply making a platform available, the lack of, of simply using empathy over, over uh, uh, <laughs> uh, mindless thinking of, of that this is okay. Um, this, the lack of opportunities, the lack of education, the lack of mentorships, like this is a lot of lacking that a lot of companies, and this goes beyond our, our industry really, but it's the lack of, of ownership that issues that resolve, revolve around race has been ongoing for numbers of years. And it's been going on for far too long. And I think that that's what drives um, 
the conversation from those who are persons of color, who are allies that have to have backroom conversations because no one wants to really talk about the real, real of what's going on. So when companies come in and they say, oh, this is new to us, I had no idea this is what's happening. Well, I'm sorry, I just saw marketing that was changed because there was someone of color that was on there with dreadlocks. You know, it's it's challenging when uh, companies like, we had no idea, you felt uncomfortable going to Mississippi? Yeah, I did. I did have a, you know, it was uncomfortable and it was primarily because of the color of my skin. And Terrence, I think you did a really good job of pointing out that I am fair-skinned at that, you know, and, so I, and I have some of those privileges that other women of color, other black women, do not get to have because of just skin color. And that's colorism, that definition and, and topic that we can get down on another uh, session if you want to talk about it later. But, you know, it, it's one of those things that we need to really have in-depth conversations, not with a, a faux guise of we're going to have a diversity conference so that we can learn. It's no, let's get down to the heart of it. You grew up this way. They grew up that way. Let's meet in the middle and understand each other. Because once you can understand where you started, then you can figure out where to go. But if you're going to act like nothing happened in the past, then you're going to have a rude awakening when people start to say, no, let me pull back the curtains real quick and let you know that this has been going on for quite some time. I think that's so what actually, um, like you just triggered something and like, I'm going to make Wes laugh. But when Wes like offered me to like move to Kentucky, that was one of the like first things that I kind of thought about because I'm like, oh my gosh, all right, I've never been to Kentucky before, but I've heard stories and I need to figure out where in Kentucky like this place is going to be because you know, of course you have Louisville, but Louisville is so different from other pockets in Kentucky. And so that was a very open conversation that I had to have as far as like, okay, we're going to make this move. This is something that we need to be ready for because we know the lack of diversity that is there. And once we got there, it was confirmed. Um, but, you know, like we made it, um, you know, like what it was and we made friends and, you know, like we had a very enjoyable experience. But those are very, um, like real life, um, like triggers for certain uh, individuals as far as, you know, places that they can or cannot go or, you know, like places where they may feel accepted and it's just beyond race, you know? I'm like, Billy, like there may be places where you're like, okay, where am I going? What city, what country town am I going to? Or, you know, like, are they going to be able to embrace if they figure out or if they kind of like maybe have a hint or an assumption? So we're pretty much like possibly putting certain individuals in danger or not understanding that if a claim or an allegation is made, um, whether or not that's going to be believed or, oh, well, you're just making it up or, you know, you should be able to do it. No problem. I just went there last week. It was fine. You should go to this restaurant or you should go to this bar. But then it's like, okay, let me Google or Apple this thing. I don't know if I walk in, if this is going to be a place that's going to make me feel comfortable because I'm going to have eyes staring down at me um, the entire time. I want to enjoy a good drink. I want to enjoy like a good you know, like steak or shrimp or whatever it is I want to order. I just want to be comfortable. So you just triggered me. <laughs> you know, I just. Let, let me tell you how the paternal instinct starts to, to, <laughs> to kick in when, when you guys, you know, I know you're traveling somewhere because it's not only that conversation that we had, but <laughs> Willie had a, a summit in Louisville during all of this mess. And, 
Um, there was the night that there was a, a shooting that was, you know, it was related in reaction to the protest going on for Breonna Taylor. And I woke up, heard it on the news and was like immediately texting Willie like, Hey, are you okay? And come to find out it's like happened right outside of his, right outside of his window. And it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing how that, um, I mean, obviously you guys feel it, but uh, just, just me when I know you guys are traveling places and, um, and something like that breaks out, I'm immediately like, Oh God, Willie's there. Terrence is there. Wes will text you and call you and like, Hey, did you make it this day? Are you okay? All right. I haven't heard from you. Call me back. Text me back. I want to jump on Terrence's point real quick about, um, saying, you know, oh, no, you'll be fine. I was just there last week. And, and to your points about, you know, places that we, I think, Wes, your question about, you know, as employers, as companies, we have to find a way to get along even with different opinions. And, and how, do, how do we do that? To me, I think step one is establishing what your opinions are and what is the fact and not confusing those two things. It might be your opinion that we should use, you know, real page versus Entrada. It might be your opinion that TikTok videos do or do not sell apartments. Those are your opinions, but it's not an opinion that people have different experiences on site at a property in their travels because of their gender identity, their sexual orientation and the color of their skin. That's not an opinion. That's a fact. It's not an opinion that um, by and large, our industry leadership is straight white men. That's a fact. It's not an opinion that um, minorities and underrepresented community members starting out in this industry don't see their future when they look through the pages of industry publications or when they look at the lineup of industry conferences. That's a fact. And so I think that we need to keep having these conversations, but I think we need to be real clear on what are opinions and what are facts, because too often people say, well, maybe you don't think you see enough, or maybe you, or to like Terrence said, I was there and it was fine. No, no, you don't get to suddenly, you know, take a whole fact and, and just, oh, that's your opinion. No, that's real life. Like this is, this is the bottom line. And until we're all operating with the same set of facts, um, then unfortunately, I think we're going to stay where we are, which is having a lot of circular conversations about how much we want things to change and never seeing any actual change. Well, and there has to be a concept of time, oh, place, and manner, right? Oh, sorry. No, no, no. Go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say time, place, and manner, right? Um, because yes, we are all entitled to our opinions, right? But when are we, when is it okay to kind of voice that opinion? And I say that to bring up a point. I remember vividly, um, Wes, you brought up Louisville, Kentucky, right? And I remember I was, uh, I walked into the office one day and one of the African-American ladies that worked there, she pulled me to the side and said, hey, can I talk to you for a second? And I said, yeah, what's going on? And she sat down and she told me about an event that took place with her and one of the owners where, you know, um, they were working on cleaning out the trailer together and like getting everything put together. And sure enough, small talk that wasn't necessarily too small, right? Uh, the owner brought up the fact that, hey, the George Floyd situation was pretty sad, right? But Breonna Taylor, she deserves it, right? Anybody who comes for the police, 
they deserve to be dealt with. And now naturally, no matter what, contrary to, you know, whatever your beliefs on the situation, right? This, the girl that was there, she's from Louisville, Kentucky. She's an African-American lady, right? She's like, regardless of, you know, like where he was coming from, where his stance was, he had this romantic, this romantic relationship with his opinion. And he just felt the need to share that with everybody. And everybody should know how he feels about the situation. And it's, first of all, I don't know that that was an appropriate time to speak about it, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't presented, like it wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a topic in a conversation like this, maybe, right? But he just brought it up in small talk. And because he was part of the ownership group, he just felt like his point was right. And he could push that upon one of the youngest community assistants there. And he but knew he was, she couldn't talk back because he had all the back. power in that moment. And Absolutely. so- there she is, probably, I don't know, but, you know, you say community assistant, so a younger woman, a minority Either woman. who's 19. Right, in a space with a man who starts, you know, she, she needs a job. I mean, so he's got all the power there, and now what is she supposed to say? Nothing. She's not when allowed comes, to say And anything. when it comes down to, like, how do we get those opinions across, I think the first step is listening. And uh, to uh, um, Ashley's point, you know, identifying where we have that common ground and actually understanding one another before we just come outright and just make certain claims like he did, right? Like it's, it's clearly like she, she felt disrespected. She pulled me to the side. She was like, dude, I don't know what to say. Should I say something to him? Because I'm not one to hold my, hold my tongue, right? This, he's clearly wrong, right? Like, I don't care about this job at this point. You know, I feel like he needs to be educated. And it's just tough situations like that where we, we feel like we're, yes, we're entitled to our opinions, but when is it appropriate time to outright voice our opinions and how do we how do we make sure that everybody's opinion is heard i think it's it's take the first step and listen sit down and just talk to people yeah and i i think not not to to drive away from that kind of one-on-one because i think there is a discussion that we need to have in this industry about um some compromising situations that people put themselves into um Jackie, you know, my experience with that, I've talked to you about it, um, as it relates to folks that, um, probably shouldn't visit sites anymore, but I I would really encourage everybody to go and listen to, to Ashley and Greta's vlog that's on you forces. Um, I know it's on the Vimeo page. I don't know if you guys have a YouTube page or channel it's on the Vimeo, and then it's also getting posted on the actual company website on their blog page because it was funny because I almost just remade one of the points about just listening to people whose experiences are different than yours and that oh, was yeah. it that was all it was it, because I feel like that's the biggest thing that we don't do as humans we just assume that we know other people's experiences and you don't you you simply don't I don't know Billy's experience because I haven't lived Willie's life. I don't know Ashley's experience because I haven't lived Ashley's life and I don't know Willie's experience because I haven't lived Willie's life. And to assume otherwise is insanity. Like it's yeah. actual insanity and we do it so often, but yes. Well, and, and I think, and you know, what really want to re- encourage people to go and listen to that is because, you know, Ashley, you shared something there this morning or this morning I listened to it this morning Um, but you shared something as as it relates to um, kind of how you were feeling about things um, as everything was breaking out in June May and late May and June and um, you know how it was something you were kind of internalizing something that you were sharing with you know other friends that you know knew had to be lifted up you know within the 
within the company and <clears throat> then how that kind of transformed into, uh, you know, nothing for something. You, it wasn't anything you were trying to seek, but, you know, it, it really came from folks asking you questions and, and really getting your opinion. And I know it's, we, we've, we're, you know, we've now gone for an hour and a half. So um, I allotted for extra time. I don't know if anybody else did. I assumed it would go over. <laughs> um, I, feel free to share it. If you, if, if you want to share it, I would um, also just encourage people to, to go check that out too. But uh, you know, that's, that was kind of the thing. It was crazy. Cause I didn't even know that you and Greta had done that. Um, Cause Greta doesn't talk to me anymore. We, I um, keep telling everybody <laughs> that we haven't spoken so long. I know. I know. And, uh, <laughs> I know. And so, and so I saw that this morning and, uh, you know, started listening to it and you shared a little bit, you know, through some of your LinkedIn posts and things of things that were happening, but it was really cool hearing that. And, so it was kind of crazy how I wrote that question out last night about, you know, how do we get people, basically how we get people talking to each other and, and respecting positions. And I don't think it's, you know, it's one thing when, you know, we're talking about team members who are kind of ignoring the struggle that minorities and women and uh, people uh, in the LGBTQ community it's one thing for, for people to kind of, you know, put it on the back, back burner, not really actively thinking about how someone may respond or think about something that's, that's said or done um, or not done. But in a, a time when there's so much rhetoric out there, I think on both sides of the, you know, political spectrum, if that's, you know, there's, there's key points and that all of us can take away from. And I see as we get closer and closer to November, that that's going to be the case. And, you know, is this really a diversity and inclusion, you know, topic? I, I don't know, but I think because of kind of where we're heading, headed in the timing of this, I think it's important to, to bring that up. And just, you know, I don't know if you guys are experiencing that with your, you know, within, within your, companies today or, and you know, how, how that's playing out. So. Wes, if I, I may. Just have to... Go, Go ahead, ahead Ashley. Sorry. All I was just going to say is that I think ultimately it has to come from a true place, a genuine place of wanting to understand and wanting to make change for the better. Um, you know, creating that safe space, creating that, that uh, kind of room where people can come in and feel like they have the ability to talk. Um, and I won't get too much into the interview that I did with Greta, um, but just as a general sense, I didn't feel comfortable talking out loud about how I was feeling and how I was feeling. And so I think when other individuals who were, weren't of color opened that room of saying, hey, let's talk and I actually want to listen to you and I actually want to, to see where we can go with this, it encouraged me and, and, and made me feel comforted enough to have that conversation with them. Not that I, had, I wasn't having conversations on what should happen, um, but it was actually connecting the dots and bridging the gaps. And I think that when you have that safe space, you also have to be sure to have the individuals who can make the actual change. A lot of times, it's individuals in the circle or in that safe room 
talking and speaking and really dropping some great nuggets of information and what could be done, but the individuals who have the actual power to make the change happen and actually stick, reinforce it and hold people accountable aren't present. So when those individuals aren't present, that message is still getting lost in translation. And then what you end up having is the facade of we do diversity or we do inclusion conferences and seminars and summits, but nothing actually is changing. And I think this generation is really good at calling out, uh, calling out the bullshit, basically. <laughs> like, look, we're talking about this, but we're not doing anything about this. And it, it gets old. And I think that we're really, truly, we're seeing change. Um, but I, I do think that change needs to happen just a little bit faster and a little bit more efficiently so that more people are able and uh, more people are more freely comfortable of talking from, you know, me to you right then and there. And then when those one-on-one -on -one conversations happen, they don't feel like, oh my God, I'm about to lose my job if I actually say, hey, you're kind of in the wrong. Yeah, or calling out those little things that, hey, this makes me uncomfortable, or I don't like this, or because they should be allowed to just make those statements. And again, I don't want to keep making references to our conversations, but people should be allowed to bring up things that they don't like, and people should be allowed to, to just feel comfortable in all of those different yes. Yes. All the yes. Bill, you so, were about to say something. Yeah, and Ash, Ashley, you did such a wonderful job with it. I, I just, I have to follow and echo with it. At the end of the day, people aren't going to be comfortable having those tough conversations unless it's with a diverse group. If I'm the one LGBTQ person in a group of 50 white guys, I'm going to keep my mouth shut and try to hide as much as humanly possible. And you develop group think this way. So if we want to address a lot of the issues in our our field, you have to have all parties involved with it. And that's not just, sorry, sorry, Wes, but white gentlemen. It's listening to everybody. We apologize for the fact that you happen to be a heterosexual male, white male. We don't hold you, you know. I commend so, you for finding such a great mix of people for this conversation, Wes. I think one of my concerns whenever these conversations come up, oh, will you come talk about diversity? I'm like, who else is going to be there? Um, <laughs> because, I mean, at a certain point, just no one else needs a straight white woman's opinion on diversity. Like, I can, I can acknowledge that. So I, I do give you a lot of credit, Wes, for one, having such a, a great network where obviously you are, have so many opinions, and two, for pulling us all together. I love this. Think, and Wes, if I can uh, speak to your final question, I've been like processing in my head. I feel like a lot of what's been said here is obviously amazing, but I wonder if it hits on that part of certain people's minds where they've already heard it. So they're going to discount it. I've already heard this and I'm a big implication or implementation person to say, if they're really thinking, Oh, I thought I was going to hear this and like, hear what I should do other than what I've heard to do a thousand times. I like to give evaluate and give people a plan. So, um, I like, I'm an optimist and uh, I've traveled some and, and back up some of this optimism, but I'd like to think the majority of the country, half the country, a third of the country is not truly hateful. They're scared. They don't know about what's out there. So as far as a challenge to C-suite people uh, to actually go back, and I know it's a bad example after Willie said what happened there, but I think that's an owner. It's a little bit different versus the operations, but to spend more time 
uh, cut time out and spend more time on the ground with ground troops and really get to see them and break down those barriers. And like Billy just said, to actually be around people uh, who will have that conversation, who they can go and talk with and who they can go lean on a, um, you know, uh, a, a leasing desk and talk to people in the room with the door shut before opening, you know, like that, that's a picture you can picture in every office, every leasing place. So really as far as challenge goes, what can I do now? I'm busy. I'm doing this cut time out, go spend time, go hop around a, a couple of your uh, different sites that you have, go there, um, listen, talk, uh, engage and make time for that. That can be part of your busy schedule that you make time for that. I'm here. Let's go take a look at this. Uh, so I think as far as a challenge, to anyone in the C-suite who wants to get out and see more, what can I do in my company? I think we're doing fine because the person underneath me who I pay is saying we're doing fine. Uh, get down there, talk to people, sit around, and let that be a challenge uh, to anyone out there who really wants to make a difference but is trying to delegate the difference making, if you will. Get out there, set that example, listen, talk, take notes. Take notes. Not, there's not much more than coming up in any field, whether military or student housing, to say something to someone and have them take notes. There's something so gratifying about that. But go, listen to people, let it be heard. Don't give them the one-liners back. Take it in, let people get what they want to say off their chest, uh, and then move on. And I really think if you take that back and really look at it, use those resources you have to really try to impl uh, implement something that actually can create change. But again, I lean on the side that not everyone's as hateful. There's hateful people, but people are scared. They don't understand. They don't know the questions to ask. They don't have someone to ask it to. But if you go out there and really open that up, I really think uh, it's a great time to really get to know your companies and get to know what's going on. Agree. Completely agree. I think it's, it's listen. It's having conversations. It's listening, doing your own research, not re fully relying on all people to explain things for sure. Um, and then recognizing that all of these changes only stand to benefit. Again, there's actually a really great, um, diversity class on Grace Hill that goes through all of the research again, because everybody knows how I am about, you know, research studies and citations, big person for it. But it goes through how all of our companies actually stand to do better and produce better results when we do actually have diversity. This is a real thing. So again, all of this, there is great reason for all of these changes to actually happen. And all of our businesses only stand to be more successful because of them. We would have less turnover because our team members would actually see themselves. They would see their growth. They would see their growth potential. They would see their success. They could see how they could move forward. We would see better results because we would see all of the, the team members coming from different perspectives. And we would have all of those open conversations because people would feel more comfortable. And again, to recognize that if you are looking around and everybody looks just like you, imagine being that one different person. And if you, if you were one and everybody else was the opposite, like just imagine being that one person. If you were one male, imagine working with only females and how that would make you feel to be like, God, I just wish there was a dude here that I like could relate to dude stuff or what, I don't know, however it is, like whatever. You know, like that's just imagine, like put yourself in that perspective. It's just a matter of empathy, you know. By the way, Greta is such of a dude that it's. That's Shut exactly up! Right. I was trying to like. Exactly. Adam, you were about to say something. Oh, I was just, you know, the conversation about diversity and inclusion. It is. It obviously is on the forefront, and um, a lot of our companies made a statement or did something, and that's kind of where it stopped. And so, you know, I, I think just challenging folks to, to, I, I want to use the words of Lincoln and, and delegate the difference making to yourself. Um, and, and some of that comes from listening to other folks, you know, as my diversity is not as, as clear as someone else's, you know, you wouldn't look at me and say, Oh, he's a, you know, he's a part of the LGBT community, but it is true. It's kind of hidden under there, this big burly guy 
Um, and you know, I even find myself in situations where, because you guys can't see I'm sitting down, but I'm a big guy, like six foot four, and I take up a lot of space. But there, are, I find myself uncomfortable in situations too. Um, you know, even on site in amongst our, some of our maintenance folks and kind of talking about things and the joking about it, but really taking time to listen to folks and to share those stories. I view myself, especially in, in the fight for racial equality as the retweeter, if you will, and the amplifier of voices and stories. Um, it's not a person of color's job to educate me on their experience. It is my job to educate myself and it's my job to listen to those stories and to share those stories with other folks. And if you're listening to this, I encourage you, if you don't fit into one of the categories, listen and, and take notes. And, and, you know, even myself had to take a personal inventory of my Instagram and see who I was following and see what influenced me. And I think it's the same thing as we look at our property marketing, as we look at um, our staffing is like, what does it look like? You know, does, does what we're putting out there in front of other folks represent who are laying their heads on the beds that we're providing for them? And it, it, it's got to, it's, it's got to be representative. And, you know, I was just, I was so struck in, you know, thinking about the movie Black Panther and Chad, Chadwick Boss, um, I'm going to butcher his last name, Chad. Old Chad, um, you know, seeing him on a Jimmy Fallon episode and folks who were just tired of talking to his poster and he was coming out and what it meant to them because they were able to see someone in the mainstream media who looked like them and how impactful that was. And it makes a difference. It, it makes a difference to your staff. It makes a difference to your residents and it makes a difference to the other folks in the world who are looking at our community. So I'm going to stop there because I've already gone too far, but um, just, you know, uh, be the change you want to see, you know, and, and be different yourself and, and listen and, and share those voices. Well, guys, I appreciate it. As I said earlier, this is a, a next step. I think this has been a great next step. Hopefully we can continue this conversation and invite you guys to, to be a part of those future conversations as well. Thanks for the Tom. Um, Cause I know that that's the most valuable thing that any of us have. And, um, yeah, Willie's on vacation. Everybody else is at home on a Friday. Or Adam, any any wise words from the Disney guru himself before we uh, <laughs> before we leave here? I, I was just talking today to some of my team members, and um, Walt Disney used the term "plus it" a lot. Um, and basically, what that means is take it and go above and beyond. And so I would, you know, challenge myself and challenge all of us on here and anyone listening to continue to go above and beyond because this is not going to fix itself with roundtable discussion. It's not going to fix itself with committees. It's not going to fix itself with, you know, uh, webinars. It's going to fix itself by change. And that requires us to go above and beyond. Um, and so that's what I would leave us with is, is plus it, make it better, um, make the difference, be the difference. Make it happen. Be a good person. Well, fantastic, guys. If there's any other resources that you want me to link in the show notes, please uh, shoot those over to me because um, I know you guys have a lot of great resources on this on this subject and look forward to uh, working with, with Angelo and creating kind of the takeaways from, from this discussion and um, hopefully giving some folks a, an action plan on, on this as well. So thanks so much, guys. 
Thanks, Wes. Thank you, Wes. Have a good one. Thanks, Wes. Well, I got to tell you, Angela, I really enjoyed that that panel. Um, I wish you could have been a part of it the day that we did it, um, but I, I'm glad that you were able to to look at it, kind of, kind of the finished or draft product. You know, after we um, after we got done with that, I, I sent you that recording, and um, I know you've had a couple of thoughts on it since then. But yeah, it was great information. I, I love the feedback from the panelists and just their ability to be um, transparent and share. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, let's start with a couple of, of key takeaways and, and, and then I've got some questions for you. But, you know, the thing, and we mentioned this before we got into it, you know, hiring in this industry, especially about the site level, has reflected a lot of what we've seen in the, in the banking and investment industries. And I get it. You and I had this discussion previously. They, they hold the power and you want your company to, to appear stable to them. We've got to get over this to think that something like, like, you know, color and race and, and gender is not going to, is not going to provide this, this appeal or this, um, uh, this appearance of being stable or being unstable. It, It just, it doesn't, it doesn't match up with, with reality and, um, honestly, I think it's, it's really keeping a lot of us back. If that's how those firms want to hire or if that industry only attracts certain demographics, you know, like we mentioned earlier with, with Wells Fargo and, and what their CEO said, we, we have to push that fear of, of do we look like them or will they trust us because of our diversity? We have to get over that fear. And additionally, when those firms make a negative comment about your company's diversity, those principals and C-suite officers that hear or observe that have to be confident and able to defend their team. Any, I agree. any thoughts on that? Yeah, I would say that people hold the power because we give it to them. And I think that we've all seen the statistics surrounding having diverse leadership and having diverse staff. The fact that these diverse teams perform better, we've seen the statistics, they're out there. If we have a diverse team, we will perform well, and nobody will have anything to say about it, Wes. I mean, the proof is in the pudding. Um, So we have to take that power back. I remember I uh, gave a public address one time, and a lady came up to me afterwards, and she said, I hired a Black man, and I did it against the wishes of my supervisor. And while I'm glad that I did it because it was the right thing to do, I'm worried about him coming into our organization and not being welcome. And what I told her was, he's experienced this his whole life. Like, whatever he comes in and they throw at him, he's experienced it, so he's used to that. But what he's not been getting is the support of his supervisor. So him having you is a plus. So you pushing back against the powers that be, you continuing to support him, surround him with the support that he needs, that is what's going to be different. And so I think this applies to what we're talking about, right? So the people or individuals who decide to take that power back, do the right thing because it's the right thing to do, support and surround these diverse people who come into the organization. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's going to work out the way that it should. We just have to take the steps. 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's kind of get to to one of the other points. Um, just hiring pretty people. Uh, you know, we heard that several times in the discussion. You know, I, I tend to think you you should be hiring based off of character profiles and against some type of you know job description and how that basically lines up with with personality traits and that type of thing versus just finding someone that's, you know, easy on the eyes and seems motivated, right? I know that is wrong, but you know, am I am I wrong in in saying we really need to to take, you know, have personality traits be the um, or something like the disc assessment and and comparing that with our job descriptions, is that a better way of doing it or does that cause issues with with diversity and inclusion as well? I think we probably want to have a couple of touch points. I mean, I'm not against assessments, but we have to remember that that's standardized testing, which can sometimes have disparate impact. Um, so I'm not against it, but I think we want to have other ways to, to make sure that we're doing the right things. You know, looking at skill sets. So when we look at a position and decide the skill sets we want, you know, that's a great way to help take some of the bias out of the process, because really it's the bias in the process, you know, and if we go in saying we want this easy on the eyes, and that's intended bias, right? <laughs> it's not unconscious, like we're consciously doing that. I think it does require the recruiting staff to activate their power. And I mentioned power a lot, not just today, but just in general, if we talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion, because we all individually have power that we can activate for good. So I think the recruiting staff really needs to activate their power in pushing back. Um, so pushing back with literal correction, if, some, if a hiring manager says, I want somebody who's easy on the eyes, like you have to push back on that. Yeah. Um, I think also, um, again, just making sure that the practices include the job description and the skill set that we're looking for, and that's what we're focusing on in candidates. So we need to push a candidate forward who is not the hiring manager's definition of easy on the eyes, that we're using that skill set to say, this is why this is a good candidate. Um, I would say, you know, it's that individual action. It's that individual action every day that's going to help push progress forward. So I think it's in the education, too. So ahead of time, before we have a hiring process, how much in our organization have we talked about our hiring practices and what we do when we're hiring? I think it will help with the conversation. I think a hiring manager is less likely to come to a recruiter or a recruiting team and say they want to hire somebody who's easy on the eyes if within our organization we've been talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion, our hiring practices, and this is how we hire people based on skill sets. The education piece, I mean, we have to do it on a regular basis. It's an ongoing conversation. It's not a one-off. It is something that we talk about all the time. You know, America's definition of pretty has long left out underrepresented people or people in marginalized groups. We haven't even been included in that definition. But that representation is important, and we need to expand what our definition of pretty is, and it comes through this education piece. Yeah, yeah. Wow, there's a rabbit hole there that um, uh, probably deserves its own podcast episode. But, but yeah, it is certainly, and I like what you said about, you know, this is, this is something individually that we all have to have to approach because it's, you know, we can, we can point at, you know, 
certain hiring supervisors or, or certain things that have, have been said, but you know, to each individual person that's listening to this, regardless if you're, you know, uh, on the, on the maintenance team, on the, um, on the administrative leasing team or at an executive level, there's a, there's a certain amount that you control um, or, or that you, I shouldn't say control. There's a certain amount that you influence in, in, in the decisions that, that's happening in, in kind of your box and just making sure that you're at least thinking of these things, you know, from, from those that you kind of have direct influence will provide a huge impact. Don't just point the finger to the top. You got to look at, at what, uh, what you're doing yourself. So that's a, that's a key point. So Ashley mentioned there's a, a lack of mentorship in our companies. I, I think she's onto something with that. How's the best way from, from your experience and, and what you've observed, how's the best way for implementing a mentorship program? Is that something that should be structured and, and requ- required or should it be something more voluntary for, for both the mentor and the mentee? Something either way could work, whether it's structured or not. If we talk about it not being structured, again, we go back to that individual behavior. So people on leadership teams who may be watching this podcast, the ways in which they reach out to underrepresented people and offer support to them, the way that they help them understand industry norms and norms within their organizations and what's the things that they can do to position themselves. Um, There's not a lack of talent. It's the talent being developed, the talent being supported, mentored, um, and given the opportunity. If we go a more structured way, a more formal way, I don't think it's so much about how we do it as it is about who we include. So again, the intentional part about including all of our talent, not just our favorites or the ones who were recommended, um, but everybody gets equal opportunity to get into this program to be mentored by leadership. Again, it goes back to the intentional part and the work that we have to put in to push for diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives. It requires work. This is not easy. We're not going to get there overnight. Uh, we have to be intentional about it. Well, Angela, let, let, let's talk a little bit, kind of, because we've, you know, this was a great panel. It, it, it went a really long time, and I know folks are, are, you know, really just kind of looking to, you know, these takeaways in our discussion now on kind of what their next steps should be. So let me just ask that question to you. How do companies start these conversations amongst their leadership and and then, you know, get it filtering out to the rest of the organization? Any, any good tips you have for that? I think it takes a very brave person or persons to go start the conversation if it hasn't already been started. When I came into Campus Advantage almost a year ago, I came in the door talking about diversity, equity, and inclusion. I went right to our chief learning and development officer and said, I want to talk about it at our leadership conference. I was brand new and was like, I want to talk about it. And I was very specific about how, uh, you know, what message I wanted to share. And it was thankfully accepted and wanted. After George Floyd was killed, I also went to our executive leadership team and said, we need to talk about this and we need to find ways in which we figure out what our initiatives are. And again, thankfully it was wanted and needed. And I had the support of our executive leadership team in order to be able to do that. 
And we did multiple things, right? And so it's not that we're some kind of poster child or we're doing everything right, but we're on the road, at least. We're on the road. Yeah. We started the journey and we want to continue doing the right thing. So just a few things we did in the beginning, we started a um, chat for all of our employees who could come in and just have whatever conversation. So we do a lot of like reminding about different events that are coming up, talking about things that are in the news, how people are feeling about different things. We also did an anonymous question um, option so that if somebody had a question about something that they could get it answered. We created an internal website where we put resources um, and just do some different things. Uh, we also instituted, uh, which with turn it kind of fell off, but a monthly kind of hour where we talk about different things. So whatever's going on that month, we've talked about, of course, we talked about race because that was the first focus, um, but we also celebrated Pride Month. We celebrated Disability Month. And just, again, just opening up the forum to say, our organization wants to talk about these factors. And it's not just race, which right now is still very important, but we want to talk about diversity as a whole. We want employees to know that, excuse me, that this is something that they can talk about. And I think the biggest change that I've seen is employees' ability to have these conversations. So if they feel like something is happening to them or, a manager feels like there's something going on. We know as an organization that we don't have all the answers, but we're talking about it. So let's bring this to the forefront. Let's have a conversation um, and, and get the conversation started. As we go through this journey, I do think we will roll out more initiatives and be able to do more things. It depends on where an organization is in their diversity life cycle, where they start or how they start. Um, they have to figure that part out first. I, I personally believe that it's not the big grand gestures that make the most difference. I think that it's the small wins because these small wins will create um, the condition for positive change. So every small win lays the foundation for a bigger win. With those bigger wins, we enhance beliefs, right? So people have to believe it and get on board with it. With greater belief comes that true allyship and then that yeah. allyship is what opens those doors. So those well, doors. Yeah, and I think I think the small things, um, like just conversations between you know between coworkers, it, it's more personal. It develops more trust, um, and, and that's and that's really what we're we're looking for. We're looking for for you know connection and and trust. But I think what that, people are afraid of, Wes, though, is they're afraid of saying the wrong thing. They're afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. And what I always say, <laughs> but what I always say about that, Wes, what I always say about that, it's the same as if you hurt somebody's feeling about anything else. What would you do? You would apologize and you would move on. The other thing is for that person receiving the apology, they have to accept it and they also have to move on. So I think on both sides, there is some still unwillingness to do those two things. So to do the apology and to accept the apology. Yeah. But again, that takes us back to individual behavior. Yeah. So each one of us not doing our part upholds this systematic racism and all the other things that exist. If we don't individually do our part to break it down, to stop it, it's going to continue to exist. We have to individually activate our power to do that. Yeah, yeah. It's 
and I raise my hand on that because it's it's one of those things that um, you know for for a long time I've struggled with because it's it's not that I you know it's not something that it's not that I don't care or, or anything like that. It's simply I don't want to say something that's going to make this issue worse. And I honestly, you know, and a lot of that, as we talked about earlier, was kind of becoming you know looking at that internally and saying okay well why am i afraid of that like i don't have a habit of <laughs> of doing that is this but, topic yeah is this topic and, yeah. and it, it but but we've certainly seen uh, and and observed be it you know in the media or in in politics or wherever there you know this ends up becoming a, a stage is it or this ends up becoming a topic on stage it, it ends up being something that, you know, ends up hurting, you know, hurting the person's um, stature or, or something like that. And I, you know, I, it, it's really for, for me personally, you know, several years ago I, I started, you know, attending a church that is very diverse and it really kind of opened my eyes to, to a lot of things that I, you know, wasn't saying or, or, uh, you know, what it wasn't even really on my radar. And I think that's had a huge impact and, and thank God that that really, there was a preparation of that happening before, you know, this spring, because I think if, if that wasn't happening beforehand, if there was not this, uh, I, I don't know how else to, to explain it, but this preparation that was happening uh, really in in my in my mind about uh, a lot of the things that that we've talked about here i i don't know that i would be i would be the person that you know when it came to the summer of talking about you know diversity topics i i would have been the person that said yeah let's just let's just leave that alone for a minute so i think it is something that's, it's beyond just what's happening you know, at work, it's also, you know, what's happening in your personal life. And, and I would just suggest to people, you know, it doesn't have to be a faith journey like it was with me, but certainly, you know, in, in your personal life, you've got to, you've got to have connections and you've got to have perspective that, that allows you to really kind of penetrate some of these things and uh, confront a lot of these things that, that are happening in our society. So, that was a lot. I hope that made sense. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I babbled on there a little bit, but. Well, I mean, I think what you're sharing is what caused you to want to take action. Yeah. That, that's what you're sharing. That's why you've been moved to talk about it on your podcast and to try to get other people to activate their power for good. I think we figure out what our strengths are, Wes, and then we use those. You have an audience, you have a podcast, that's a strength of yours. And now you want to use this for something positive and I commend you for that. Yeah. Yeah. Angela, I appreciate it so much. Um, And big kudos to Jen Cassidy for, for recommending you um, for this. I'd seen several of your posts on on LinkedIn this summer and was like, Oh yeah, I need to, I need to get her on the podcast at some point. And I was talking to, to Jen about, um, her being involved with that panelist and um, she had something last minute that came up, but she said, Hey, you should really talk to Angela. And I was like, it just makes all the sense in the world to, to have you, you know, be a special co-host on, on this episode. And I appreciate the, the time that, 
you've taken to um, uh, to not just record, but you know, watch and evaluate that panel and kind of hear what everybody's saying and and you know, give us some pointers on how we can overcome these things. So, thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm I'm glad to be able to just speak on it. I cherish every opportunity. Well, I can't wait till we can travel again. I can come down to Austin and 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 meet you and uh, in person. And do you like torchies? Because that's usually what I end up getting when I go to Austin. <laughs> I'm actually not a torchies fan. <laughs> I feel like they're too fancy. I'm just generally not a fancy food kind of person. Um, <laughs> you know, I'm a, I'm above Taco Bell, but it doesn't need to be torchies, right? <laughs> Gotcha, gotcha. We'll find something we can we can agree on to eat. I'm sure. If Absolutely. Do, yeah. if, if me and my if me and my wife can can find places to agree on to eat while we're traveling, I'm sure you and I can too. We agree on Mexican, so that part is yes. Well, there we, we go. Do that. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Well, Angela, thanks so much. And um, just really quick, if any of our folks want to reach out to you to connect and, and maybe even have some additional questions, what's the best way for them to, to get in touch with you? Yeah, so people can obviously connect with me on LinkedIn. That's really my only form of social media. I find that I don't have um, the mental strength for anything else. Uh, <laughs> um, but Angela L. Shaw, um, you know, or obviously reach out to me through Campus Advantage. So I love having conversations. I'm always open to that. And, you know, I look forward to connecting with people. Well, fantastic. I appreciate it so much. And we'll talk to you soon. Thank you.